3: Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside The Box of Oddities.
4: My brain works in weird ways. Last night, I was getting ready for bed. I got out of the shower and I go to the drawer where I keep all of my underpants.
2: Where I put your underpants? Where you put I fold my, them?
4: Yeah, and I found um, I was I was getting low, so I'm, I'm back to the auxiliary. Is this a
2: pass aggressive way tell, of telling me that I need to do more of your laundry?
4: Like no, no, it's I'm
2: getting low on it, underpants. Never, never, I, I never wash.
4: I appreciate that you wash my underpants, but I have. You know, some older ones that I've delegated to backup status. yes, and so I was down to that because you hadn't done any laundry recently. Mm-hmm. so I, I pulled these old underpants out of the back of of the drawer mm-hmm. and the elastic waistband was all frayed and coming <laughs> so you
2: could see the elastic waistband. yeah,
4: it was coming right out of the seam, yeah, in the uh, in the underpants. so, At this point, you were in the shower. So I went and I threw my underpants in the garbage. Mm -hmm. And then this morning, I got up a little bit before you did, and I was making coffee.
2: Is this your passive-aggressive way of telling me I need to get up earlier and make you coffee?
4: No. So I'm up (laughs) early, and I'm making coffee because you're lazy. And I get the carafe, and it has the coffee grounds in it from the night or from the day before.
2: Oh, for the love of God. And so
4: I empty them into the trash and they land right on top of my underpants mm-hmm. and so immediately before you get up i start rearranging the garbage so it doesn't look like i shit myself and <laughs> threw my underpants away have you ever done that no shit your underpants no and throw them away like at work you have to take them out to the dumpster
2: i've i've never shit my pants as an adult person so
4: <laughs> oh, no <laughs> really well me neither <laughs>
2: Uh, there was that one time, though, that I went to throw an old pair of underwear into the trash uh, and I was going to sing taps for them. <laughs> but then I was like halfway through the Imperial March before I realized what I was doing wrong. Yes. I was like, ba, 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 da, ba, 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 That's oh, not, wait. not,
4: not taps. No. Nope. No. So I got, I got a story for you that, that doesn't involve underpants. Are you ready? Yes. In 2014, a California resident, guy named uh, Webster Lucas, which is a cool name, he went to his neighborhood McDonald's just to get a little sneaky snack, I Mm -hmm. guess. When he uh, received his order, they, they slid the tray across the counter to him. He was infuriated when he realized that he had only received one napkin.
2: Oh my goodness.
4: So of course he asks to speak with the manager. What? and he got into an argument that was described by witnesses as quote potentially racially charged oh jeez uh the manager tried to calm lucas down over his napkin rage but uh in fact he offered him some free burgers
2: well i'm sorry was he not offered more napkins
4: yeah i guess he was but that wasn't good enough oh so he wanted something else he offered him free burgers and that wasn't good enough and Lucas claimed that the incident left him emotionally distressed and unable to go to work. So he filed a lawsuit. He decided the best response would be to sue McDonald's for 1.5 million dollars.
2: I'm I'm so confused right now at this at this very moment I don't even know. I don't even have questions to ask because I,
4: it's all I one. don't big. understand. Yeah. What? Okay. So, basically he gets one napkin and he gets angry and he doesn't get the result that he wants and i don't even know what that was
2: had he heard about like the, the chick who sued mcdonald's it, over the hot coffee it and been. maybe was looking yeah. for some sort of yeah
4: could have been i days mean, that, off from work that was 1994 when that happened uh-huh. and uh, this was 2014 so yeah he he may have i'm sure everybody's heard that story so he gets one napkin and and because of that he says he was under duress, emotional duress, and sued the company for $1.5 million. This is the beginning of what became known as napkin gate.
2: By who calls it napkin gate?
4: Oh, probably the media.
2: Y'all, we can't just put gate after anything (laughs) and say that's a thing.
4: It's always gate. The thing is, Lucas apparently had taken on fast food corporations in the past.
2: Gasp. Are you telling me he's a con man?
4: NBC News in Los Angeles said that before he filed this $1.5 million lawsuit against McDonald's, he had also filed two against jack-in-the-box restaurants. Neither of those cases ended up with him receiving any compensation. They were thrown out as frivolous. Uh, Lucas is what is called a vexatious litigant, which is a fancy term for people who file frivolous lawsuits and claims.
2: There should be a law. Well, there is. There should be a better enforced law.
4: (laughs) When he filed the McDonald's lawsuit, Lucas was not on California's vexatious litigant list. Uh, Being on that list would have prevented him from filing any frivolous law.
2: Oh, if you file enough frivolous lawsuits, they'll be like, nope, no more lawsuits for you. That's
4: right. Well, for a period of time. Okay. But as recently as 2018, he was on the vexatious litigant list, uh, and they cited the 2014 McDonald's case as the reason why.
2: That seems fair.
4: So today we're gonna talk a little bit about some of the most ridiculous lawsuits that have ever been filed.
2: I am thrilled about this, and also already anxious, because I know this is gonna upset me, because frivolous lawsuits cost us all money.
4: Back in 2007, an administrative law judge named Roy Pearson, took some clothes to his dry cleaners in Washington, DC. Okay, So he goes back a few days later to pick up his laundry, He gets back to his house, and he discovers that he's missing a pair of pants. So he goes back to the dry cleaners to complain. The dry cleaner said, apologized and looked around and found his pants. But Pearson said, those aren't my pants. And he demanded $1,000 for a new suit.
2: Oh. Okay. Were they really not his pants, or do we not know the answer to
4: that? We do not know the answer to this. The dry cleaner said, nah, you know, he declined to give him the $1,000. So this guy's a judge, right? He files a lawsuit against custom cleaners. Hmm. For losing his pants, he sued custom cleaners for $67 million. Eventually, that demand was denied, uh, so he dropped the amount to what he considered a more reasonable $54 million. The judge in the case obviously ruled in favor of custom cleaners, and part of the decision was Pearson had to pay custom cleaners court fees, which was roughly $1,000. But that's not where it ended. Later, a couple of years later, in 2016, reporters from the Washington Post put some pieces together and they found that, uh, the DC board of professional responsibility had discovered that Pearson had committed two ethics violations when it came to the customs, a custom cleaners case. Ah, uh, they recommended sanctions that included Pearson be placed on probation for a period of time and not be allowed to practice law for two years.
2: Well, I feel like that's super sketchy. I mean, a judge coming after a dry yeah. cleaner, I mean
4: over a pair of pants over a
2: pair of pants.
4: Yeah, seems a little outrageous. Mm-hmm.
2: Also, why a dry cleaner? like do you do you know something I don't know about dry cleaners and their funds?
4: No, maybe they're laundering money. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <sighs> anyway, then there's uh, the story of imprisoned pimp Sergio Sanford Clardy.
2: It sounds like there's too many vowels It's in way
4: that. too many vowels in that name, which is probably why he was arrested. Well, that and the fact that he was a pimp and uh, he was convicted in 2004 uh, for not only that, but also an altercation uh, with a sex worker customer. Apparently, the customer tried to essentially dine and dash. In other words, flee the motel without paying the agreed upon fee. Mm-hmm. So Clardy chased this person down, threw him to the ground and stomped on his face. Oh. He just stomped on the face of this Portland, Oregon man. Clardy decided that his best course of action, because he was convicted for this, his best court of action was to file a lawsuit from his prison cell against Nike, for one million dollars, claiming that his Air Jordan sneakers should have come with a warning that they could be used as a dangerous weapon. Oh, (laughs) he he had
2: to be told by a shoe company not to stomp on someone's face. Yeah,
4: that's essentially his claim. Now, as you can imagine, Clardy considered himself a brilliant legal mind. Mm. So he decides to serve as his own litigation attorney. Yeah, that's a good sign. (laughs) He appeared uh, by live video feed from where he was incarcerated, Uh, Nike's lawyer spoke for less than 90 seconds. And then Clardy just rambled on and on, and sometimes he talked about the case, but more often than not, no. He just rambled about stuff. This represented most of the time of the hearing, as I'm sure you probably figured out by now. He failed to prove his case, and it was promptly dismissed. Mm -hmm. Then there was this guy, Named Austin Aikman. In 2005, he was watching the NBC TV show Fear Factor. With Joe Rogan? Yeah. And there was one particular segment where contestants uh, had to uh, eat dead rats that had been mixed up in a blender. They put a bunch of rats, dead rats, in a blender. And anyway. Where
2: did they get the rats?
4: Oh, I'm probably just in the street somewhere. He claimed that he felt this stunt went too far but was unable to turn the television off fast enough. He claimed it caused him to vomit uncontrollably. He became disoriented and he jumped out of his chair and ran into a door. So he sued NBC for $2.5 million.
2: Oh, my.
4: The lawsuit, of course, was quickly dismissed in U.S. District Court by Judge Leslie Wells, who then warned him about filing an appeal. No, don't do that. That would be a mistake.
2: Mm. It's one of my favorite things in life when someone that I think uh, has outrageous entitlement Mm. and creates this false reality, and then a judge tells them, no, no, no more of that. uh, You're going to have to stop doing that.
4: Well, I think you you would agree with me that you would be hard-pressed to find a person who gets more angry at the GPS than I do. (laughs) Even that being said, I can't get on board with Lauren Rosenberg, who in 2011 was using Google Maps, the Google Map tool to help direct her to her destination. She, she had a walking route that mm-hmm. she had punched in. And so she's walking and following Google's instructions. And the search engine's map tool instructed her to walk across a rural highway and instead of taking a safer route, she just followed the walking instructions right out onto the highway and got hit by a car. So she sued Google for negligent failure to warn and defective design, and also for good measure, uh, sued the driver of the car that hit her. Mm -hmm. According to Yahoo News, the district judge, by the way, Yahoo News just doesn't have a credible ring. yahoo news uh said the district judge (laughs) a
2: bunch of yahoo's over there
4: (laughs) district judge uh granted google's request to dismiss rosenberg's claim the judge found that there was quote no special fiduciary or contractual relationship between the parties that would give rise to a duty of protection in addition he noted the route that uh, google maps suggested wasn't particularly dangerous and maybe if she had you know I don't know. Looked up from her phone, she would have seen the oncoming sedan. Mm. Then there's Robert Bratton. There's probably fewer people who have ever breathed air that love Reese's Pieces and Whoppers as much as Robert Bratton of Missouri.
2: Whoppers, the the candy, candy. okay. Yeah. You
4: know, the it comes and looks, looks like a milk container.
2: The m- malt, yeah, malt ball. I've candy. never been a
4: fan of them. I don't like malted milk chocolate. Anyway, he filed a lawsuit claiming that Hershey Chocolate Company was selling only partially full bags of Whoppers and uh, Reese's Pieces, and they were doing it intentionally to rip him off. Sure. So in May of 2017, he filed a $5 million class action lawsuit. However, on February 16th of 2018, his case was thrown out. The judge says that Bratton wasn't really harmed because even though he realized the packages of uh, Whoppers and Reese's Pieces weren't full, he continued to buy them. Right. And boy, did he. The uh, defense proved that over the course of a decade, he had bought over 600 bags of Reese's Pieces and Whoppers. So, you know, he should have known better is what they were saying.
2: That's a lot of candy.
4: That's almost as much as the candy that you ordered. What? No. The M&M's. She ordered from the M and M's website every flavor of M and M's that was available. It's for science. Yeah, she wants to do a TikTok video where we compare the different types of uh, flavors that M and M's offer us. I've never tried the peanut butter ones. Mm-hmm. They look pretty good, uh, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on shrimp tails. I don't think that that's something that I really <laughs> want to try. All right. And finally, this is a more recent case. This was uh, 2017. Plaintiffs filed a class class action lawsuit against Home Depot because they were selling um, 4x4 pieces of lumber.
2: Oh, let me guess, not 4x4? No,
4: they were three three
2: 3.5x3.5. Wait, isn't that kind of standard, though? It
4: is standard. It's like when you buy a 2x4. When I first got interested in woodworking, mm. I just assumed 2x4s were 2x4s. Boy, did my bookcase look like ass. <laughs> Home Depot and other lumber suppliers uh, have explained that 4x4 is just the name of the board as the industry standard dimensions are 3.5x3.5. However, the plaintiffs sought more than $5 million in damages. U.S. District Judge Sharon Johnson-Coleman rejected the plaintiff's claim on March 12th, 2018, dismissed the case.
2: How can you claim that there are damages? I mean, unless you were using those boards as a measuring device.
4: Well, you should have seen my bookcase. It collapsed on a toddler.
2: Whose toddler?
4: I don't know. Some toddler I found. My neighborhood was just overrun with them. It's
2: like that Japanese island and the rabbits.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's exactly it.
2: Just toddlers everywhere. Toddler
3: Island. Yeah. And now, that thing in the middle.
4: Matt Llewellyn was packing his groceries into his car in the parking lot of the Anchorage Costco when suddenly, ravens swooped in and stole a short rib from his cart. In an interview with the Anchorage Daily News, he said, I literally took 10 steps away and turned around, but two ravens came down and instantly grabbed one out of the package, ripped it off and flew off with it. He said, I think they know what they're doing. This isn't the first time. They're very fat, so I think they've got a whole system there. But apparently this happens all the time. Anchorage resident Tamara Josie said, these ravens are calculating. One just kept waiting for an opportunity to steal a melon out of my cart. They're very dedicated to their mission, she added. So if you're ever traveling in Alaska, beware of the grocery-stealing ravens of Anchorage.
3: Several people have written asking if the curator is straight or gay. What well, in all candor, we never thought about it. Much. This is The Box of Oddities.
1: Find out what's real and what's not when it comes to famous conspiracy theories like those surrounding notorious assassinations and secret societies. Discover the weak and deceptive underpinnings of modern political ideologies and religious beliefs. Join me as I attempt to shed some light on our historical blind spots. New episodes every two weeks. Find historical blindness on most podcast players and platforms. The Box of Oddities, with Kat and Jethro
4: Gilligan-Toth. Harold sent an email It says, uh, I just heard your episode about the possibility that John Wilkes Booth did not actually die from the barn incident. Uh, there's another version of the story that's based here in Birmingham, Alabama, and centers around a 19th century madam in our city named Lou Worcester. Ooh. She claimed to have been Booth's lover, and spoke of his still being alive and living in Australia. She supposedly even made several trips down under to see him. Um, Mrs. Uh, Did m-
2: you think that, that is like a dirty thing? You just made <laughs> no. that dirty in your head,
4: didn't you? <laughs> no. Uh, Ms. Worcester uh, was a fascinating lady and was the inspiration behind the Belle Walling character in Gone with the Wind. Oh, wow. Hey. Thanks, Harold, appreciate that.
2: Gone with the Wind, a classic that I will probably never watch again.
4: Yeah, you got angry really early on. <laughs> Those were different <laughs> times. Any hoozle? So what you got for me?
2: Baku is the capital of Azerbaijan. And here's an interesting thing about Azerbaijan. It is located both in Europe and in Asia.
4: All right. Yeah. I was just rolling the word Azerbaijan around in my head because... <laughs> abber whatever it is abber abber that word that you said it just sounds like fun and i wish i knew how to pronounce it properly azerbaijan azerbaijan it sounds like a perfume
2: it does
4: azurebaijan
2: Then it's sound from calvin klein
4: no it was Bajan. Anyway, go ahead. Tell me your story.
2: Okay. Neat. So the Old Town area in Baku is considered to be the most ancient parts of the city. It makes a lot of sense, it being called the Old Town part of the city. Mm -hmm. Um, This Old Town is fortified by a medieval stone wall. You can see some really incredible stuff, like the 15th century palace complex called the Palace of the Shahs not sure, Um, their burial vaults and the Shah's Mosque. You can also pay to get in and see relics and artifacts from the 15th century, which are pretty cool.
4: Yes, please.
2: There's also the ancient Muhammad Mosque and the Maiden Tower. So the Maiden Tower is a 12th century monument in Baku. It is recognized on the country's currency, along with the... Shirvan Shah's palace, dated to the 15th century, it forms this group of historic monuments listed in 2001 under the UNESCO World Heritage List of historical monuments as cultural property. The tower is thought to be a Zoroastrian's fire temple, which had seven fire exits on the top of the tower. Zoroastrians believe that there are seven steps or seven skies to reach heaven. And Hassan Hassanoff dated the Fire Temple Tower to approximately the 7th or 8th century hmm. BCE. Wow. In addition to this old town part of the city, which is inside this fortified wall and historic and amazing and dates back centuries. There's also been this influx of oil money, which has created a city outside the old city filled with incredible modern architecture so you get this real juxtaposition you're looking at this maiden tower that may have been built you know in the fifth century and then just behind it you can see like this incredible uber modern building covered (laughs) in led screens wow it's very strange that
4: is very surreal sounding
2: and i cannot wait to go and see it But that's not actually what I wanted to talk about. I learned about all of this while learning about a place just about an hour outside of the city. It's Gobustin National Museum. And this is a reserve that has more than 6,000 rock engravings dating back to between 5,000 and 40,000 years What?
4: Wow. Wow. Yeah.
2: This site also features um, the remains of inhabited caves and settlements and burials, all reflecting human use by people who lived in the area during the period that followed the last Ice Age. Oh my God.
4: That's insane.
2: It is the world's largest collection of ancient rock paintings that you can see all in one place. Um, So, from the Upper Paleolithic to the Middle Ages, you can see this incredible history of rock art. Azerbaijan is also unique because it has all kinds of mud volcanoes.
4: Wait, that's not a thing.
2: It is a thing.
4: Mud volcanoes? Mud volcanoes. It's like, I I think of like Shark Tornado, you know? (laughs) Mud volcano. (laughs) Sounds like a really bad movie.
2: It does, like Birdemic or something. Though, as we all know, Birdemic 2 was a quality piece of work. Well, of course. A mud volcano is a landform created by the eruption of mud or slurries, water and gas. Mud volcanoes are kind of falsely named because they're not really volcanoes, obviously. Um, they don't, they aren't driven by magma or anything like that it's it's really just mud and earth that is being pushed up through the ground and it's created these kinds of towers that continually push out this mud bubble
4: so they call it a mud volcano but it's not a volcano it's
2: not a volcano
4: i'm suing
2: (laughs) yes act that's that's fair $67
4: billion. You've
2: been misled, obviously. Yes, I have. we're all very upset about it. I've
4: suffered trauma because of that, and I can't work now.
2: (laughs) In Azerbaijan, there are about 300 mud volcanoes, and about 30% of the world's total mud volcanoes are in Azerbaijan, and that's why most people who visit Azerbaijan are visiting, Hmm. which is is amazing that that many people are like yes, I want to go see mud popping up out <laughs> and you know, I don't blame them yeah. cuz I really do too. The thing that I really want to see though is nearby. It's called Yanardag. That translates roughly to burning mountain. And what this is is a mountainside mm-hmm. that fire shoots up out of all the
4: time. See, that's much more interesting to me than a mud pot.
2: I mean, both have their own features that are very interesting. I want
4: to see an awesome display of pyrotechnics. Sure. Not just slurry.
2: So these fires are actually what gave Azerbaijan the moniker Land of Fire. That's what Azerbaijan means.
4: Azerbaijan.
2: So there's a surplus of natural gas under this part of the region, and it... Shoots up out of the sandstone, which is very thin and sh- like um, layery. What's the term that I'm looking for? It's like
4: sedimentary. It's, it's
2: like a sure. And so when the natural gas comes up out of this thin, cracky mm-hmm. rock side, oh look at that! It's made of fire now. And <laughs> so it's just a it's just a mountainside that's covered in fire all the time. It was noted in the 13th century when Marco Polo visited the then Persian city of Baku. And he mentioned the numerous mysterious flames that could be found just all over the region, just coming from the ground. So it's
4: been burning forever.
2: Forever. Wow. There is a really weird local... folklore that says that the fire started in the 1950s when a farmer flicked a cigarette. <laughs> um, but that doesn't really make any sense considering Marco Polo, Marco Polo. But one of the most dramatic examples of this is a 10 meter long wall of fire. It's like wow. uh, I looked it up 32 feet ish. And uh, some of the fires will shoot up to about nine and a half feet in the air and just burns constantly fire shooting from the ground all the time and it's not like the mud volcanoes where it's kind of like it's just shooting fire all the time just like a flamethrower but from the ground
4: (laughs) that's a lawsuit waiting to happen
2: who are you gonna sue
4: I don't know. The don't, ground?
2: The the porous sandstone?
4: I'm, I'm suing the porous sandstone because it burned my pants.
2: Plaintiff versus porous sandstone. So when I saw that there was this place called Yanardag, and it's basically a mountainside shooting fire out of it, I mm. thought... I need to go there. So I looked it up, and then I found, oh, oh it's near those mud volcanoes. Mm. And then I was like, oh, it's about outside of that city where there's these incredible buildings that you have to see. And so
4: your, your topic is really a, a classic example of the completion backwards principle.
2: Or a rabbit hole mm. for real. Either way, we have to go to uh, Baku in Azerbaijan. Uh, thank you very much. Enjoy your day
4: i'm totally down for a fire mountain yes oh yeah right i'm I'm there for that absolutely how close can you get do you know
2: well i mean fire's pretty hot
4: well sure no i've heard but um i'm wondering you know do they have tours up to a certain point or you just left to yourself and you know wander about until you burn
2: well there are tours yes but it doesn't look that it's hard to tell Um, Here, in this photo, you can see there's no barrier.
4: Oh my God.
2: It's just, there's some benches that you can warm your backside. Bring some
4: marshmallows. Near the- Make some s'mores. The
2: ground fire.
4: My God. So does it flare up or does it it just stay that same size all the time?
2: Oh, I mean, there are variations. I mean, it's gas emitting Mm -hmm. from the ground. So naturally there will be like some- (sighs) Yeah. Some of that and some-
4: but they, but they um, thought it was necessary to put benches like 10 feet from it. Yeah. Okay.
2: Here you can see that some people have set up some plastic chairs nearby.
4: <laughs> That's not a great idea. Those, <laughs> it's plastic lawn furniture.
2: It just makes me think of like when I was young and I would back up as close to the wood stove as I could get and then my nightgown would light on fire. And- oh,
4: sure. <laughs> Those were great times. <laughs> she tells that story uh, every Christmas. <laughs> It's kind of a family tradition here. Yeah. (coughs) All
2: my flannel nightgowns (laughs) had burn marks on the ass. On the
4: ass, yep. Hey, guys, listen, uh, we are just now starting to outline our next live looped show. Woo! It's going to be on the 6th of June, and we alluded to it a little bit earlier about what we were thinking about doing, and mm-hmm. we've got it, uh, I think, logistically cleared. Uh, we're, we're going to let you choose our next tattoo, and then we're going to get it live while we're uh, telling the stories right so
2: we'll have a few options for you to choose from as far as tattoos go uh because i don't trust people
4: (laughs) and yeah i don't want a pork taint Uh, tattoo (laughs) although now that i think about it that could hmm. be kind of fun yeah
2: Yeah. but uh yeah we'll let you decide uh what jg gets and then uh what i get and it'll be a lot of fun and in the meantime uh, we're going to share some fun tattoo stuff and i have no idea what my topic's going to be yet but i think it's going to be fun
4: again that's coming up on june 6th we'll let you guys know when the tickets go on sale
2: and you'll get to meet my friend autumn Oh, I hope it wasn't too presumptuous calling her my friend. And you'll get to meet my tattoo artist, Autumn, who I like very much.
4: She's uh, quite talented, quite an artist. She is. Annie Hoosel, we'll see you next time.
2: <laughs> Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
4: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so,
3: let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report... beseech you for assistance we ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review true that is two things however tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review also subscribe to us okay so three things is all we ask three things and three things only henceforth the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange The bizarre, the unexpected. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.